0: All right, John chapter 16, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. So chapter 16, verse 16 is where we pick up. Remember, Jesus, he's preparing his disciples for his departure and really for something that they could not possibly really be prepared for, and that is the crucifixion and all that they would see and all that they would witness. And, and uh, sadly, uh, <laughs> all but one, had, had fled and they weren't even there at the cross. I, I can't imagine them not being somewhere in the vicinity so that they could see kind of what was going on at a safer distance. But we read in verse 16 the words of Jesus. Jesus says, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while you will see me. And John adds that, and they were obviously confused about this part, because I go to the Father. And they said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while, and you will not see me? And again, a little while, and you will see me? Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. And then he goes on, he gives an illustration. A woman then, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, Uh, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing, Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. And we're going to go beyond that. But, Father, we pray for these verses that we just read and the ones that follow. We ask, Lord, I think I always ask that you would give us insight, you'd give us understanding that we would not just hear words spoken, but that they would really be words um, (laughs) that your spirit would breathe life into, and that they would be words that would cause us to ponder, to think, to wonder, to, to, uh, to find comfort and joy and assurance and things to apply to our own lives as your disciples today, Lord. So please teach us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, I I think of the disciples, and I I'm so glad that as a student of the Bible, we don't um, we don't see the disciples as something that they're not. Um, you know, I was ro- raised Roman Catholic, and so in the Roman Catholic Church, everything is presented in an unbiblical way. Um, all of the saints, and it's not just you know i.e. the apostles, but there's a lot of saints within Catholicism, and the saints always are presented, you know, in icons and statues or pictures, you know, and um, they usually have a halo over their head, and and so you kind of have this image, you know, I I did growing up that, well, these are the saints, and then there's the rest of us, you know, these kind of we're the lower region people, and we really can identify with the saints. But as you study the scriptures, all of the scriptures—not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well—you look at men like Moses and Abraham and Jacob, and and you look at uh, uh, Isaac, and and you look at a man like Daniel. You look at you know Joseph. Uh, old testament joseph new testament joseph you know you look at these men and women ruth naomi they were people just like us in fact that's what the bible teaches they weren't above us they weren't um you know holier than us they were people who had heard from the lord in obedience they you know carried out the things that the lord had called them to do there's no difference if you think there's a difference i don't know what book you're reading all that to say, they were no doubt disturbed. They, didn't, they hear these things directly from Jesus. Jesus has told them, at least on three occasions, that they're going up to Jerusalem. He'll be handed over to the Gentiles. He'll be crucified, but on the third day he'll rise again. They hear it, but they don't understand it. And because they don't understand it, they just kinda let it go. And, and so Jesus preparing them for what's coming, no doubt they were disturbed because Jesus had said, and and we'll see, well, in fact, let's just read it now. Verse 32, and Jesus said to them, do you now believe indeed the hour is coming? Yes, and has now come that you will be scattered. Well, that's not good news. Each to his own and will leave me alone, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, or literally, be courageous. That's what the word means. Words mean. I have overcome the world. So they were no doubt disturbed that Jesus said, um, "You're going to all scatter." It's coming. You're going to all scatter. There's going to be an event that takes place, and you're all going to scatter, and you're going to leave me alone. But I want you to know that I'm not going to be alone because the Father's with me. That would be disturbing. I mean, if someone came in and told me, "Hey, Dan, you know, you're going to, uh, you're going to walk away from the Lord. You're going to, you're going to just..." Um, you know, have a, a lapse of faith or or, you know, you're just gonna have this period of time, I would probably protest. I'd probably say, no, why would I do that? I mean, it would be disturbing to hear this type of thing. But of course they were hearing this not just from somebody, they were hearing this from Jesus himself. And surely the disciples, they weren't just they weren't just disturbed they were probably very discouraged because jesus was leaving them and that becomes apparent you know jesus you've you've said it enough we get it you're leaving we don't understand maybe the details of it but we we get it you're leaving and no doubt as we see in our text today that they were confused they were confused by the words of jesus a little while and you'll not see me and again a little while and you will see me so they're confused they're discouraged, they're disturbed. These words, a little while, were confusing to them. We see that in verse 17. What is this that he says to us? We see it in verse 18. We do not know what he is saying. We don't know. They're not saying this to Jesus. They're saying this to each other, probably under their breath, you know. These words, no doubt, were confusing to them, but these words were not words that they had not heard before. Guys, this is why it's so important to be students of the Word of God. I'm telling you, you know, when it sounds so selfish, and it is selfish, but when you don't get something out of something, that's not a very good sentence, but when you don't get something out of it, you're probably not going to put much effort into it. I mean, if you read the Word of God and you feel like the Lord's not speaking to you from the Word of God, or you just read the Word of God, and I don't even remember what I what I read, you know, we need to be students of the Word of God, and as we're students of the Word of God, we see this pattern, we, we, we see these things within the Word of God, they're not secret things, they're not hidden things, they're right out there in the open. But it's only really the, the student of the word that really benefits or sees these things and and uh, is encouraged by these things. So let, let me tell you what I mean by this. These words were confusing, but these words were surely words that they had, um, they were not words that they had not heard before. In John chapter 7, all these from John's gospel, John chapter 7 and verse 33, 34, it says, Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you, and here it is, I shall be with you a little while longer. And then I go to him who sent me, and you will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. And then in John chapter 12, verse 35, it says, then Jesus said to them, here it is, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. In John chapter 13, verse 33, little children, I shall be with you, here it is, a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come, so now I say to you. And then John chapter 14, verse 19, again Jesus says, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you you will live also. So they're confused about these words. Maybe, Maybe we're a bit confused about these words. What was Jesus referring to? A little while. You won't see me, but then again, you will see me. Was he speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit. I'm just trying to keep it in context here. Remember last week, we took a break. We took seven days off from the text, but Jesus didn't take seven days off. All of these things that we've been studying for the past few months, he spoke in one night. And, and we know that last week, our text, he was dealing with the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Was he saying Was he saying to them that, that, that I'm going away so you won't see me, but you will see me when the Holy Spirit comes. You'll see me through and in the Holy Spirit. Was he saying that? I don't know. Or was he referring to his second coming? Was he saying, um, you're not gonna see me but eventually, you know, I'll come back again, second coming, and then you will see me. Was he speaking of that? Or was it Jesus' brief 40-day ministry? Was he referring to that? 40-day ministry between his resurrection and ascension. Remember, Jesus would kind of pop in and pop out, and that took place for 40 days. Was he speaking of that? In Luke's gospel, you could turn with me if you'd like to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Remember uh, Luke tells us something that the other gospel writers do not tell us that there were two men on the day that Jesus was resurrected. Two of the disciples two disciples. We're not sure if they were two of the twelve but they were disciples nonetheless and they were walking along Jesus meets them. They don't know who he is they don't recognize him their eyes are are kind of blinded to Jesus' true reality until jesus broke bread and when he broke bread they they saw and then jesus was gone again popping out and you know but in verse 32 it says and they said to one another did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us Look at verse 36. Now as they said these things, Jesus stood, himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. Look at what it says. It says, but they were terrified and frightened. It doesn't say that they were full of joy at that point in time. I think Mark tells us that Jesus came into the room and he rebuked them for their unbelief. And then Matthew gives us an account, and again, we don't get the the picture, at least initially, that they were full of joy. They were bewildered. They were frightened. They were troubled by these things. Now, we get to the joy as we continue to read. It says that they supposed that they had seen a spirit, and he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when they had, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they, they still did not believe, for joy, that was joy, and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food Here. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. By the way, Bible students, this is significant. This is not just telling us that Jesus was hungry. Jesus was doing something very, very important. I am not spirit. I am flesh. Um, later on, you know, when you get to First John, John deals with the Gnostics, the Gnostics. Gnostics are still alive today, you know. The Gnostics, oh, Jesus is, uh, Jesus was spirit. When Jesus died upon the cross, well, it wasn't actually Jesus. There was this exchange that took place, you know, because, because all matter, so the flesh matter, is evil. Only the spirit is good. And they, some of the Gnostics would say, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. You can do whatever you want in the flesh, and it has no effect upon your spirit. Of course, this goes directly against the teaching of the scripture and, and surely the teaching of our Lord Jesus. But Jesus, as he ate the bread, he's showing them look, touch, feel, you know. He eats the food. Spirit's not going to eat food. He's flesh and blood. The resurrected Lord. Well, anyway, back to our text. I wonder... I I think that the answer to the question, what is he talking about in a little while? What does he mean by that? In a little while. I think that the answer might be found in the last few words of verse 16. Because I go to the Father. Remember, you will not see me, and again, you will see me because I go to the Father. At face value, it doesn't make much sense. You will not see me, but then you will see me again because I go to the Father. Well, if you're going to the Father, how are we going to see you? I don't know about you, but for me, I can't help but think of what Jesus said in John chapter 14, the first three verses. You guys know it. If you don't, you could just flip back to chapter 14. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwellings. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. That's very specific. And if I go and prepare a place for you, here it is. Here's what caused me to reflect back on these words of Jesus. He said, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where are you going, Father's house? I'm coming again, for what purpose? So that where I am, you may be also. I personally, and and I know that, you you know, I'm not apologizing, but it's interesting that in this age, I believe the last age of the church, I mean, that's just my opinion. I don't have a direct word from the Lord, though I do have his word, the Bible. But I think it's amazing how Christians want to debate over the rapture you know we're you know the rapture the rapture the rapture and and i look at john 14 verses 1 through 3 and i believe it's a rapture text personally i've broken it down i i've shown you that if you do a word-for-word study of of what jesus says in john chapter 14 verses 1 through 3 a word-for-word study of that text what jesus says and what paul says in first thessalonians chapter 4 which is our really a rapture text from which we get the word rapture. Um, they're word for word, parallel, right down the line. They seem to be describing the exact same event. And again, a little while, and you will see me because I go to the Father. Was Jesus referring to the rapture of the church? You say, oh, damn, why do you think that? Because the rapture of the church is something that's imminent, Listen, don't listen to people who are saying things like um, the second coming. I just saw something recently this past week. The second coming is happening at the end of this month. (laughs) Now, of course, I reject that completely on a number of levels, but number one, There are Bible prophecies that need to be fulfilled before the second coming. Are you guys following this? Do you you understand this? Second coming can't happen until the time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation, the time of woe that's coming upon the whole earth. The second coming cannot happen until there's a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. The second coming cannot happen until in that rebuilt temple, Antichrist sets up an image of himself on a wing of the temple, and he commands all to worship him as God. He puts himself over God. These are things that need to happen before the second coming could happen. Unless, of course, you're a preterist. You know what a preterist is? See, Book of Revelation, it's all happened. It's all historical. It happened in AD 70, you know, when they... They do gymnastics to make this fit, and I don't know how they do that. They would say that we're living in the thousand-year reign of Christ. If this is it, I'm greatly disappointed. How about you? I mean, things, things have gone terribly downhill in the past four years. Things are not getting better. They're really going downhill. We are not living in the millennial reign of Christ. We are not. Satan is not bound for a thousand years. He's still like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principle of this invisible but real world. (laughs) In a little while, I think of Peter, Second Peter. First Peter, Peter seems to be writing about suffering for the cause of Christ. Second Peter. Peter seems to take a different approach, and he's writing about the coming of the Lord and, and preparing yourself for the coming of the Lord. But in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he wrote this, But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. So, Lord, you've been gone a long time. You've been gone 2,000 years. He'd say, no, I've been gone two days. Remember what Hosea says about the third day? He says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Lord, where are you? Why haven't you come, you know? Why did you come in the 70s after I got saved, Lord? because he's long-suffering, pa- long he's patient. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. Well, anyway, I'll come back around to that in a few moments. But verse 20, says, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And no doubt the world was rejoicing. Those Roman soldiers, as they just uh, you know, tortured our Lord for fun, it was game to them. A literally game, uh, you know, the, the game of the kings. They would actually play games as they were crucifying victims and they did this with Jesus. They put a mock crown upon his head of thorns, remember, and they beat it upon his brow. They put a, a, a mock, you know, robe around his shoulders and, and bowed down and, and uh, you know, hell, king, you know. And they were mocking. And they were rejoicing, and surely the religious leaders that uh, just had a problem with Jesus because Jesus was calling them out. We never see Jesus approaching the common man the way he approached the religious leaders because the religious leaders, there is a stricter judgment of those who teach the word. There's a stricter judgment on those who, you know, take a, 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 a leadership role. Every leader should know this, and they should take this very, very seriously. It's not a light thing; it's a serious thing. But I think of the world that we live in today. I think, I think of the the. the uh, you know, you you look at some of these music award uh, 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 things, you know, and all that. I don't watch these things, but I always watch clips from them, because, you know, the different people that I listen to, Christian apologists or, you know, just podcasters or whatever, a lot of times they'll point out, this is what happened at this music uh, award thing, and and it's usually something blasphemous. It's always something blasphemous, you know. And um, Super Bowl a few weeks ago, you know, uh, blasphemous things, you know. That were done. The uh, halftime, you know, you, you almost want to, you know, adult supervision, move the kids into the other room. You know what's shameful? I mean, this really, really shocked me. Not the world. It doesn't surprise me that the world wants to mock Jesus. It doesn't surprise me that Musicians, if you could call them that, want to use the imagery of upside-down crosses and all of these things, and their hand motions, and just all of these dark and 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 just really demonic things. That doesn't surprise me at all. What surprised me this last uh, Super Bowl was the mega churches that were entertaining for their audiences. You'll note that I don't say congregation because it's not a congregation. They're audiences. They've come to watch the show. And I wish I could say it was one church that did this, but I watched clip after clip after clip, and I, I saw at least four different clips of mega churches, where, and I would feel so embarrassed as a man of the word, to get up on the stage with your football jersey on and to play like your kids. On a Sunday morning? I don't understand churches that make Super Bowl an event on a Sunday morning. I mean, the world has us all the time, unless we choose not to give them our time. It's like an hour, an hour and a half. We can't make it about something else. (laughs) We can't make it just about Jesus, you know, just about the Lord and his word. You might have seen what I'm referring to. These people, they're acting like they're, you know, playing football. The ball, no ball, the Bible. As they would kick the Bible into the audience. That's so cool, pastor. That's so cool. What a mockery. And the world looks on and they say, what is wrong with these people? They're kicking? They're kicking the word of God. This is the this is a written revelation of of God. And they're kicking it to make a point or to be silly or to whatever to kind of make, you know, somehow we gotta make the connection because this is church and this is service. So we gotta kinda how tie this in. And this is happening in churches. It's so shameful. I remember, some of you might not remember, maybe you were not old enough. That's not a put down, that's just reality. But I remember, I remember hearing about this fellow that I had never heard of before in my life. And this is probably true of most of us. We had never heard of the man, Jim Jones, until, and we, yeah, see, there's a reaction. Because until we saw the images, almost a thousand people laying dead in the jungles, Because they went out with their leader from San Francisco, underprivileged, poor people. He stopped preaching the gospel long before they ever went to the jungle. But I remember Jim Jones, we saw clip after clip after clip after clip. And I remember as a a young Christian, I don't know how old I was in the Lord, but I remember almost gasping when I was watching this old clip of Jim Jones, and he took the Bible and he threw it on the ground and he stomped on it as he cussed, using our Lord's name in vain, saying, we don't need this any longer. I'll tell you, those poor people, they should have ran out of that, <laughs> that church before they ever got to the jungle because uh, there were many who did not want to die on that day and their lives were taken from them. It wasn't a willful thing. You say, oh, Dan, you're always the squeaky will. I am the squeaky will. We must be the squeaky will. Thank God for the squeaky will. That sounded like I was saying thank God for me. You know what? I'll tell you. Thank God for men like Pastor Jack Hibbs. Did you guys see last week he was uh, invited, you have to be invited to these things, to open the prayer at Congress. And... uh, Jack gets up, I watch the clip, I watch the prayer, he gets up, he opens by acknowledging the Father in Jesus' name. And, um, and that was enough. I mean, he didn't even have to finish his prayer after those two things. He explained that whenever you pray in a setting like that, you need to write down your prayer, you need to submit your prayer in writing, and then they will okay it. And so he was invited, he wrote his prayer, he knew uh, the restrictions. He could not use the word Father, and he surely could not use the word G- the, the, uh, the Jesus and his title Christ, you know. Um, and so he wrote that. He said that as he was on his way to get on the plane to, to, to go and do this, he felt convicted by the Holy Spirit. And he repented before the Lord, and he said, I am so sorry, Lord, for this prayer. And he just really, you know, Jack is a passionate man. He loves the word of God. He's one of our Calvary pastors, you know, and, and um, he repented. And as he's driving, as he's being taken to the airport, he's writing out the prayer that he's going to pray. And I'll tell you the backlash that's come. He is a Christian nationalist. He is a hater. Everyone knows he hates the LGBT, you know, alphabet. He, lo- he hates uh, Muslims. He hates, he hates, he hates, he hates, he hates. And, of course, people will, people will believe that. But thank God for his boldness. I'm convinced that we're either going to become more bold or less. And some of us can't afford to be less bold than we are right now. To be honest, Jesus, boy, I really got off track there, but I think it was worth it. You know, this whole was was he speaking about the rapture? I, you know, was he speaking about his, his coming again? I, I think it's interesting that Jesus gives the illustration of 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 sorrow that's turned into joy. And the illustration he gives in verse 21, a woman when she is in labor has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy of a human being has been been born into the world. Do you know that Paul used the same illustration speaking of the coming of the Lord? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 2 through 4 says for you yourself know perfectly that the day of the lord so comes as a thief in the night for when they say peace and safety then sudden destruction come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman there it is as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they they shall not escape but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Jesus did the same thing. The Olivet Discourse. Jesus, you know it Matthew chapter twenty-four, Jesus says, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and 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 there will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. All these things, here it is, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. You say, Well, I didn't I didn't hear that illustration there. The word sorrows literally means the pangs or throes of childbirth. Jesus says, These are the beginning of childbirth. This is the beginning. Once the, once the labor begins, there's no stopping if it's a genuine labor. Some of us have made, you know, I think of family. You I think what Nehemiah I think we went like three times, didn't we? It's kind of like well, we're back, you know, and nah, not yet, you know. And so we had to come back, and finally we just forgot about it. And one day he was just there. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> anyway, you know, guys, as you look at the text, and I'm uh, obviously running out of time, but when Jesus said in verse 23, "In that day will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name," He's telling them something that, frankly, for us, it's something we just take for granted. We say, Father, we say, um, that's how we're taught to pray. Jesus, in fact, taught us to pray. When you pray, say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, that's how we've been taught to pray. We, we miss the drama. We miss this dramatic statement from Jesus, because prior to the cross, there was no such intimacy with the Father. Even when Jesus says, when you pray, pray this, this would have been controversial. The Pharisees would have said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're telling the common man to pray, our Father? No, too intimate, can't do that. And Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, listen, up to this point, you haven't asked anything in my name. He says, I'm not saying that, that, that if you pray to the Father in my name, that I will pray the Father that he might answer your question. But Father loves you. Father loves you because you believe in me, because you love me and you believe in me. And so he, he's describing this, this new, beautiful relationship that we have with the Father because of the work and, and redemptive work of Christ. It's so beautiful, guys. He is our Father. We are told that we could cry out to him, Abba, Abba, Papa, Papa. And, and, and we need to be careful that we don't misunderstand that level of intimacy If we misunderstand it, there won't be that sense of reverence that I think we need to have. I know we need to have. He's not our equal. He's not like us. He's above us. He is God. We so often, we want to bring him down to our level. He's not at our level. He'll never be at our level. This is why, guys, listen, you could watch Christian television, which is for the most part, sadly, bunk, shameful, embarrassing to anyone who believes the Bible. You could watch that, and listen to story after story after story of people that are being caught up into heaven, and hearing their stories, and hearing their their their. Uh, l- 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 lack of fear and almost this familiarity with the father or, or whoever they're talking to when they're in heaven and it's almost as if the person is kind of in control he's kind of like got the you know the upper hand and it's just so or you could read the bible and when you read the bible i mean we see, like john for example john when you look at john he, he's caught up to heaven revelation chapter 4 He's, he's not talking to Jesus. He's talking to an angel. And poor John, he's so confused. He doesn't know what to do. He's bowing down. He's worshiping the angel. And he says, don't do that. Don't do that. Worship God. You? No, no, no. John's confused about the whole thing. You look at men like Isaiah. I saw the Lord high upon his throne. He sees the Lord. What does he say? Woe is me. I am undone. Paul says, I know a man. He speaks in the third person. I know a man caught up to heaven, caught up to the third heaven. He sees things that you cannot talk about. He says, I'll boast in such a man as that. He's speaking of himself. But there was this humility. He goes on to talk about this thorn in his flesh. There was a a messenger from Satan to buffet him. Many Bible students believe that the thorn in the flesh came after the revelation, the being caught up to heaven so that he would not be prideful. He would be humble. I don't like to be around prideful professing believers because I just think, There's something lacking here. There's not the genuine humility that comes from the person who recognizes my access is because of Christ, not because of me. I have access because it's grace upon grace where sin abounds, grace abounds, not because of me, but because of Christ. I have access to the Lord because his mercies are new every morning toward me, because I'm in Christ Jesus. I have access to the Father because I am robed, I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ, not my own righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. See, the believer sees himself, herself, as, if you will, lost in Christ and found in Christ It's not me. It's not this arrogance, I need to be careful because of this arrogance, sometimes in prayer. You will do this, Lord. I'm standing on the authority that you've given me. it's like, Lord, just zap them. You know, just, please just zap him, just one guy, you know, to let little just shake there for a little bit. The rest of the people will kind of get that we shouldn't be talking to you like that. The arrogance that you do not see in the word of God, you do not see among the men and women that were used or touched by God, you see humility. And I'm out of time, so I encourage you to read the rest of our text on your own. There's so much there. I want to end with this, though. So worship team, come on up, please. Verse 33, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Even peace is unattainable without Christ. We have peace. We have the peace of God. We have peace with God. You know, all of these things are the byproduct of faith in Christ. It's just, it's so beautiful. We, we, not non-believers, this isn't true of non-believers, but for the believer, we, we have this dual existence. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We live in the world. You, you, I, I mentioned to the first service that my prayers really go out to parents raising young children, or any children for that matter. Um, you know, I, I pray fervently for my kids and their children and my grandchildren, and I, I love them all so much, and I, but my heart breaks. My heart breaks for the older ones. I just think it's a, you know, they've got challenges that I surely didn't have when I was growing up. Talk about confusion. I mean, you know, they're just, they've been introduced to this perverse world, but they're being told that this isn't perversion. This is this is normal. This is the way things have always been. And the older folks were saying, no, no, it hasn't. This is perverse, this is a perverse world we live in. I think of the younger children growing up. They're exposed to so many things. I think of how naive I was, and I was not a naive man, but it was just something that wasn't spoken about. We didn't hear it. It wasn't something that was talked about out in the open. But I think of how naive I was in my 20s compared to some of the young children that are exposed to things, could be a neighbor. If if your kids go to parochial school, man, you gotta, listen, you gotta wash their brains when they get home. How do you do that? The Word of God, the Word of God. You You need to be in the Word of God with your kids. You need to show your children what the Word of God teaches. I'm out of time, but I, I said it I've said it a number of times. You know, the Episcopal Church or um, is that Episcopal up here? Yeah, so they you know they welcome everyone and um, they've got their flags out there, which isn't it ironic that in our little town, conservative Oak Harbor, Washington, where the American flags fly high, you don't see that in a lot of communities, but we sure see it here. Every organization that deals with children tells us up front in the front of their buildings what they stand for as they have their rainbow flags flying, or their abstracts, their, their whatever they are, cylinders or the, but painted the colors and they're saying, "This is what we stand for." In one sense, it's almost like they're advertising. We're here to brainwash your children. Feel free to drop them off anytime you would like. They're telling us what their agenda is. But I was thinking of this Episcopal church up here. We had a neighbor when we first moved here, uh, her family went to that church. And she was doing the high school ministry. And um, she came here on a Sunday and she had about 10 high school students with her. So I went back and said, oh hi, how you doing? What are you guys doing, you know? She says all of these students are about to graduate, they'll graduate this year, and I've been going around and I've been exposing them to um, other churches. Because I know where our denomination is going. It's been going there a long time. But I know where our denomination is going. And I know that the chance of these students going off to college or whatever they do, going to an Episcopal church where the priest or pastor is teaching the word. And at that time, when we first moved up here, there was a a priest that was teaching the Bible there at that time at that place, you know, at that church. And I I told her, I said, man, I admire that. I admire the leadership of your church, that they would encourage you to take students to other churches so that the students could be exposed to other churches that will teach the word of God, rather than just causing them to think this is it. You know, it's either this or it's nothing. But guys, listen, we are in an all-out battle and we need to recognize that. And parents, we're praying for you. We are. In fact, at our prayer meeting tonight, we'll be sure to pray for the parents. We usually do pray for the parents of, of children. It's a difficult, difficult thing. But it's not impossible. But you need to be strong in the Lord. You need to be of courageous, fearless. I'm standing on what the word of God says. So let's stand together. Help us, Lord, to be men and women who take your word seriously. And, Lord, there's this, I think for some, if they, if they haven't experienced it themselves, it just sounds like words. But I know that others, Lord, they have given themselves to you. They are, they are students of your word. We all have a, lot, a long ways to go. We haven't arrived. But, Lord, we thank you that there is this boldness that just comes from simply standing upon your word. I pray that every person in this room or downstairs or watching online would have that same boldness that comes from your indwelling spirit, the assurance of your word. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.